Um, the, the last, uh, hello, hi, um, and hello, good morning, good morning, Larry. Yeah, did you, did you ride in? Yeah. Yeah, you, you made it. Is it warmed up? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you that. So uh, Larry's on the men's leadership team for men's ministry here, and uh, we had our men's breakfast yesterday morning. And uh, we didn't get a picture of it or anything because we're not, we don't, we don't stand on street corners to pray to get noticed or whatever, but I wanted to pass on something to you that took place in here yesterday morning. As the breakfast wrapped up, um, the guys uh, basically circled up, kind of a big, huge circle, about 100 guys in this room uh, and, and just prayed for you. Um, as, as guys, they've got their own stuff that they're dealing with. Uh, they put those things before the Lord. But for a while, we just circled up and uh, held hands here together in unity and uh, prayed for the church. Uh, not just their own needs, their own struggles, their own burdens, but knowing that uh, there are men, women, and children that are going to fill this space today and uh, really more important than the space that we occupy together today, the space that you occupy when you leave here throughout uh, the greater Prescott area, we wanted to lift you up in prayer because um, we know that there's an enemy that is on full prowl. And I'll be completely honest, for the last uh, couple of weeks, this has been um, uh, one of those couple of weeks you just wish you could erase or fast forward. Um, I'm not quite sure what you're going through, but I do hear stories when we sit together in between services or uh, throughout the week, I've heard individually what you're going through. I know what our, our staff is, is going through. I know what my own family's going through. And um, I don't like it. Um, I, my heart breaks for it. Uh, the, the enemy loves to steal and kill and destroy. And it's been so obvious in these last few weeks, just uh, he's, he's, sometimes uh, it's just like he tips his cards too much. Um, it, it couldn't be anything else other than the enemy just wants to uh, tempt you, get you off track, uh, drive rifts in relationships, uh, get you overly concerned about finances or health or you name it. It is just one thing after another. And I'm just saying enough's enough. And, and so uh, when, when you and I face these trials and these hardships, we know, as Ephesians 6 says, that our, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but there's this spiritual battle that's going on for every single one of us in here. And we can see the spiritual battle that's been raging for uh, the last couple of weeks, has been raging for centuries, because the enemy doesn't like when God gains ground in your heart and my heart when he gains ground in our church. And this series called Make or Break is a look through the book of Acts. It's, a, it's an account of how the early church got some traction and some things that were really pivotal moments for the early church are, are still kind of pivotal moments for us. Uh, the first week, we, we, we saw the disciples wrestling with a question. It was a decision that they needed to make. And so we, we kind of uh, rallied around the scriptures there. And uh, rather than asking ourselves the question, what am I supposed to do? 
we decided a better question to ask is, what's the Holy Spirit up to? What's God up to? And then whatever he's up to, let's lean that direction. Uh, Because it may or may not end up being what I would naturally decide to do. So what's the Holy Spirit up to? Today, I would love to bring that question back full circle. For us here in this room, if you're watching online, bring that question back full circle uh, with regard to circumstances that you and I face that are miserable, difficult, challenging, trials, hardships. Bring that question back. What's the Holy Spirit up to? What in the world is God up to? Because typically when we hit these challenges, these snags in the road, um, my first question is something more like, why me? God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? God, what in the world is going on? Why aren't you stopping this? Or you name it. it it's just, it's, it's what, what can I do to get out of this? God, what can you do to stop this? But let's bring that first week's question back again. Start to ask yourself the question of the rough circumstances that you go through. I wonder what God's up to. Holy Spirit, what are you doing in the midst of what I'm going through? I I face the trials, the hardships as you do. And my first reaction is typically find another way to go around the trial. If not, I face the trial and a hardship, I'm just going to run the opposite direction. Do I have any runners here with me? I prefer that. Uh, What I've come to discover is that there's something really key for me to uh, learn or something that God wants to do in me or through me in those miserable circumstances that when I run, I don't learn, I don't get worked on, and God enrolls me in the same class over and over and over again until I do figure it out. Paul, that we've been looking at for a while in this this book of Acts, uh, God's using him in ridiculous ways to plant churches, uh, establish churches, um, so much going on through through Paul's life. But in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's there's a handful of verses that give a summary Uh, to Paul's very, very difficult life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, take a look at this. Verse 23. Paul says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, non-Jews, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Verse 27. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who's led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast... 
I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Sign me up for that life, huh? You talk about trials and hardships, that he's about the work of God. And he's taken these bold steps of faith. His singular focus is to testify of the good news of God's grace, like we talked about last week. And yet that has put him time and time again in hardship after hardship, trial after trial. And there are times where we hit these hardships and trials where you can't go around it. You can't run away from it. You have no choice in the matter but to stay in the midst of it. Paul found himself in that scenario multiple times. And by the time we look at the end of the book of Acts, the last handful of chapters that we're going to look at today, we're going to find Paul in, in jeopardy, Paul in, in chains. But I sense that he's constantly asking the question, God, uh, this is where I am. I'm, I'm not as concerned about getting out of where I am as trying to uh, be faithful to be and do what you've called me to do while I am where I am. And as he finds himself in this miserable, miserable set of circumstances, he, I think he's asking the question, God, what are you up to? Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And as he tunes into that, I hear him saying, oh, uh, this is an indicator of my weakness. Uh, trials and hardships will be uh, one of the, the most powerful indicators of just how weak you and I are, which maybe is why we run from them. We don't like to feel weak. But what I hear Paul saying here is the trials and the hardships that have come my way are a constant reminder of my weakness. And if I'm going to boast about anything, it's that I am weak. Why? Because he's also going to go on in just a handful of words later to say that I know that when he is strongest is when I am weakest. God's power is perfected, not in comfort. God's power is not perfected when everybody likes me. God's power is not perfected when we are strong. His power is perfected when we're weak, when we're broken, when we get to the end of our humanity, the end of ourselves and say, I, I got nothing. Maybe that's why I haven't liked the last couple of weeks. Because it's every day just this reminder, of, yeah, I got, I got nothing on this one. I hate this. I can't stand that. These people are driving me crazy. It's nobody in this room. It's the next service. They're the horrible. <laughs> can't turn on the news without getting super irritated. I mean, it's just enough's enough. And amen, we win. But let's go through the, the last handful of chapters of the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, go to Acts, go to chapter 24, um, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, but just 
just for a moment, put yourself in Paul's shoes and, and begin to think, if I were in his shoes, how would I naturally respond if I were in his situation? And yet at the same time, try to ask yourself the question in the midst of looking at what Paul's going through, ask yourself the question, I wonder what God's up to. What's the Holy Spirit up to? Acts chapter 24 uh, through 28, which is the end. Um, what you're going to see throughout this is Paul is in chains. He keeps getting dragged from this person to that person, this crowd to that audience, constantly in chains, and yet constantly being used by God. Uh, something kind of encouraging about that. Not easy, but encouraging. Acts chapter 24. Verse 22, uh, Felix was kind of a governor of the region at the time that Paul was in. Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, Christianity, adjourned these proceedings that Paul was brought into, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Okay, that's pretty good. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now, if you're Paul in this situation, naturally, you'd be going, why, why, why this? God, I'm living for you. God, I'm following you. God, you know the mission. You know what needs to take place. And here I am stuck in this particular set of circumstances. But this right here is such a key reminder that, that even when you and I feel like we are in chains, God is still providing opportunity for us to be a witness for him. Even when you're in miserable circumstances, even when you can't get out of it, you're stuck. It's a health thing. It's a financial thing. It's a work thing. It's a relational thing. You're stuck. There's still an opportunity for God to uh, work in you, but also work through you. And Paul still uh, having opportunities put before him, even though he's walked up. Festus takes over. He has to go before Festus. Then he's in front of Festus and gets a consult with King Agrippa. Skip to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, verse 19. Paul talking to the king that's come in now. So then uh, King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, uh, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. 
I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Paul's just recounting what the structure of Acts is and what Jesus called them all to in Acts chapter 1. You will be my what? Witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Even non-Jewish people. And Paul's saying, okay, it started there and then it went there and now we're here. The gospel's poised and ready to go. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to, be, to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Don't be surprised when you live in radical contrast to other people for the name and the cause of Jesus that people think you're crazy. It's been going on forever. It's going to continue this side of heaven. Verse 26, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, uh, do you believe the prophets? I, I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Woo, yeah, that's a good line. If you were in a movie theater watching that, you would have applauded, but you're in church, so you sit there. The king rose. And with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man's not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul, even though Jewish, was a Roman citizen. You make an appeal to Caesar, they are mandated to bring you uh, before Caesar. Now, this is so key right here. Uh, Paul is still in chains. And what is God orchestrating? In the middle of this miserable set of circumstances, God has orchestrated uh, to have an audience before people with the gospel, with the good news, who arguably, I mean, God can do what he wants, but would not have had an audience, uh, would not have had the gospel presented to them if Paul were not in this set of circumstances. You ever stop and think about that? You, it's nice in retrospect, right, to look back and go, gosh, if I'd never been in that accident, if, if I'd never gone through that hospital season, if I'd never wrestled, wrestled relationally back then, I never would have met her or him or had the opportunity to speak up or encourage someone. There's someone in our church who, who lost their wife too soon, just a couple of months ago. 
And while he was in the waiting room, waiting to get the news on his wife, he's meeting with, with uh, this guy who's uh, waiting for surgery to finish with his wife. And then neither of the wives make it. But during the course of that time, the brother from this fellowship shares the gospel. And this man, they're still pursuing relationship with. We, we just talked last week and, and trying to get him connected with a church down in the valley. And he's asking questions and miserable circumstances for our friend here. And we, we lost Anne that we love, but she's with our Lord. And our Lord is comforting her husband and using her husband in the middle of his awful circumstances to bring the good news. That's, that's what God does. Paul's just letting God do his job and Paul's being faithful to his own job. Paul's job is just to be a witness. It's just to be a light. It's just to testify to the good news of God's grace. His job wasn't to change a heart. His job's just to plant seeds. And then it's God that does the rest. You get into relational issues, this, that, and the other thing, and I know how those can go sideways real quick. Your job's just to present the truth of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And then whatever happens from there, it might take people a long time, a short time. That's not up to you. Paul knew that. Short time or long time, I'm just praying that all of you will become what I am, except for the chains. Okay, that sounds good. And then they walk out, and they walk out, and they're like, this guy's fine. He hasn't done anything. I mean, they didn't buy into the Christianity thing, but God, uh, God upheld his character and his name. Well, now he's got to press on to Rome to have this audience with Caesar. So they put him on a boat. Paul knows that considering the weather and the sailing conditions, this isn't going to end well. Uh, he lets the guys know, but they press on anyway. They put a whole bunch of these guys on this boat to sail off to Rome and uh, trouble at sea. Uh, look at Acts chapter 27, verse 18, if you skip down. Acts 27. Paul says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. 
So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Verse 20, 39, skip down to 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. What's the Holy Spirit up to? You know, sometimes in the the trials, the challenges, the storms that you and I are going through, uh, what God has in mind is the salvation of other people who happen to find themselves uh, in or near the storm with you. You know that the storm is not always just about you. There are other people that get caught up in it or trying to help you out of it or maybe got you into it in the first place. And God's heart is for the rescue and the salvation of people. And he'll use whatever means necessary. Do you think that the sailors or these other prisoners that were involved in this ever had a a thought about this moment again? I think so. I mean, I think this was a story that they told as long as they were alive. Gosh, we were in this storm. This was the craziest storm I've ever seen in my entire life. You wouldn't believe it. We thought we were going to die. This guy stands up and says, God's for us and God's going to rescue us. And some of us didn't believe it at all. And then we ran aground and, well, God saved us. And we kind of changed my mind about this whole Christianity thing. I don't really know what to make of it, but I mean, that happened. And really, dad, that happened? Yeah, that happened. You wouldn't be here, kid, if I hadn't got through it. I mean, it changes our story. It changes the story of people around us. He gets to Rome and in Acts chapter 28, uh, what you see here, He gets to Rome and uh, gets put under house arrest. And he gathers some of the Jewish leaders that have heard of him but uh, were new uh, interacting with Paul. He calls for some of them. And Paul says in verse 20, For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Whoa. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. 23. 
They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus because being Jewish people, they're familiar with the Old Testament, they're familiar with the law and the prophets and the law and the prophets point the way to Jesus and so he's connecting those dots for them. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Take a look at what he says. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed him, all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end, or more accurately, the beginning You see, as you get to the end of Acts, it's, it, it ends so abruptly. Wait, wait, that's it? Well, what happened? Paul, Paul's circumstances didn't change. He's still stuck in house arrest. Wait, 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 what, what happens? What, what? Well, he dies. Paul's circumstances uh, stayed... Kind of unpleasant, difficult, challenging. Uh, he, he He was stuck in his circumstances, but God's plan was certainly not stuck. There in house arrest, Paul pens at least four of the letters that make it into our Bible. Do you get that? That, that Christians uh, were encouraged by the word of God that would get all pulled together Old and New Testament in in future centuries. You you and I, if you've ever been blessed by Colossians or Ephesians or Philippians or Philemon, it's because God flooded through someone who had time to write because he was in jail. What's the Holy Spirit up to? Well, I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through or what you will go through. I don't know exactly what God's up to, but he might be up to like things here. He might be up to providing an opportunity for people to hear the gospel that couldn't hear it otherwise. He he might be up to doing some soul work on you 
in the midst of miserable circumstances. He, he might be up to doing some soul work on some other people that find themselves in association with you in these awful circumstances. What's he up to? Well, here he was up to spreading the good news. What's he up to? Here he was up to, to continuing the church, pressing the light of the good news of Jesus Christ out into the darkness, taking some really good news into some really bad circumstances. That's what God is still desiring to do today through the church. He's providing contrast to bring hope in the midst of nothing but despair to bring light into darkness, to bring incredibly good news into miserable circumstances or miserable people. What if we stopped thinking, ah, I'm just always in the wrong place at the wrong time and go, well, what if in God's economy, I'm actually in the right place at the right time? Why? Because... This is where some good news needs to end up. In my own heart and soul, or the hearts and souls of people around me. Oh, okay, so this isn't just about my circumstances? No, it's not. What's God up to? He's still up to the same thing he's been up to for centuries, and that's proclaiming his goodness in a world wrecked by sin. And using me and you by the power of the Holy Spirit to be that light. This happened in Dallas, the beginning of this year. What do you do about a school event for dads if you don't have a dad? Every year, the Dr. Billy Earl Dade Middle School in Dallas, Texas, hosts a Breakfast with Dads event to encourage fathers and father figures to engage with their students, over 77% of whom have been identified as at risk. This year, kids weren't signing up for the breakfast. School principal Tracy Washington was concerned that students were opting out because they didn't have a father or father figure of their own to invite. Dove, this woman that speaks, uh, works at this education uh, nonprofit called Big Thought, suggested putting a call out on Facebook to see if she could get 50 male friends to volunteer as dads for the day. They would fill the gap that would prevent students from participating in the breakfast. Our initial goal was to find 50 volunteers. We ended up with 600. The students were in complete shock when they entered into the auditorium and saw the 600 men there all waiting for them. They were excited to talk to the men and ask them questions. The breakfast included an icebreaker activity in which the dads and volunteers taught the boys how to tie neckties in half Windsor knots. Dove said that after the breakfast, one student told her, I didn't even know I was going to be able to do the breakfast. 
and I'm leaving with a mentor. He was excited to say he now had a caring adult on his team, someone who had a genuine interest in him, and most importantly, was also willing to make the investment. One who volunteered for the breakfast said, I pray that what happened at Dade Middle School is not just a movement, not just a moment, but a movement to inspire other men and women to get involved in the lives of our youth. We are truly the change we seek. That was organized as a joint effort between a school and a church. Our church is doing something called the 180 Project. And there's teams that have been going into our schools to minister in regard very similar to this. But this is exactly what the church does. Some people look and they would look at this Dallas school and they would simply lament a whole bunch of kids without dads. That's what a lot of people see. But what God sees is an opportunity for Christian people who love Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit to go fill a gap, bring light into a dark place. We don't run from the bad circumstances. We ask the question, what is God up to in the middle of the bad circumstances that might use me to bring light and hope and healing to it. In the name of an almighty God, do it. Father, please just empower us, equip us to persevere. We've got brothers and sisters in this room that are going through horrible things. There may be a, an end in sight. There may not be. I don't know, but you do. And so, Father, just going to ask that you would give them strength, encouragement, and direction. I pray, Father, for the, uh, the dark places, the circumstances going on around us, that uh, we might be able to wade in and help out. Equip us to that end, Father. Help us be the church that you have created us to be. Thank you for loving us no matter what. Help us to love other people the same way you have loved us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Church, we love you so much. If there's anything that you need, head this direction. There'll be some people here that would love to pray for you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.